Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Karina Chicano, a journalist who's written for the New York Times Magazine, Elle, Vogue, and quite a number of others. Karina is also a woman who, even in her youth, was questioning the way things were for women, the attitudes, the roles seen in the media, found in books. And now she is the author of You Play the Girl on Playboy Bunny, Stepford Wives, Trainwrecks, and other mixed messages. These are thought-provoking, important essays that might feel uncomfortable at times, but more likely they will have us nodding our heads and feeling that we have found a kindred spirit. Let's meet Karina and get some great insights. Karina Chicano, good morning, and many thanks for being with us this morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, I am so grateful that you're with us and the reason for it being this incredibly wonderful new book that you have, You Play the Girl on Playboy Bunnies, Stepford Wives, Trainwrecks, and Other Mixed Messages. These are essays, a collection of essays that you've compiled into this book. So the question is, did these occur over a series of time, or did you have the inspiration that I need to write about this, and the essays came? I think it was the latter. I had the idea more to write the book. And when I first thought about writing the book, it was like 2007 or eight, And it felt like, so it was a really long time ago, and it felt like, um, kind of a crazy thing to write about at the time. <laughs> it, did, it didn't feel like the culture would be receptive to this at all. So I started working on it, and I started doing a lot of research and thinking about it, and then I put it aside because I just didn't feel like I was honestly kind of um, worried about writing about, about this subject. And then after a few years, I thought, well, I've done all this research. Why don't I just write a few essays? <laughs> so I started writing I started writing individual pieces that I thought about and um, publishing them. And then after I'd had maybe seven of them or 10 of them published, I thought, you know what? I have, you know, half a book here. Why didn't I just write this book? (laughs) So it's interesting to note that, too, because things, life is a process. It's not Mm -hmm. necessarily this, you know, you set out, this is the beginning, I'm doing this as the end. That uh, process is such a huge part of it. In fact, it may prompt further essays, would you say? Yeah, I mean, it definitely, you know, it's all such an ongoing um, topic and the culture changes so much. I mean, at the time that I first thought about doing it, I felt like what prompted me to want to write about it was that it was such a such an anti-feminist moment and such a bad time for writing about how women were represented. Um, And I think women were being represented so badly and there was just kind of almost no opening to talk about it. And then in the course of writing it, while I was kind of in the thick of it, uh, about a year away from finishing or from publishing, I guess a year away from finishing, suddenly it was all anyone was talking about. And I wondered, like, oh, no, like, maybe I missed the boat on this. And it, you know, didn't, um, you know, now things are changing so fast. And can I keep up with it? At, you know, at, because book publishing is, is slow, you know. So that was really interesting. So it always is evolving. And then when the book came out, um, right after that, uh, the Me Too movement started. So it turned out that it, you know, there was another cycle starting again. So, 
Yeah, it definitely, it, it always leads to more, um, more analysis and more, you know, observation of, of how the culture is constantly evolving. And your comment about, oh, no, maybe, you know, I've missed this boat. But the mm-hmm. truth of the matter is no way that the, this information, your stories, all that you are writing about only serves to really underscore and build the case, if you will, of what's going on. Thank you. I think what I, you know, one of the things that I tried to do, um, especially once everybody w- was talking about this, as I'm happy that they are, was to sort of step back and say, you know, this, this is a book and I want it to be around for a long time and I want a lot of people to identify with it. And it, so it's it's not a polemic. It's not really a series of pieces. It's what I tried to do is to say, this is a story that's told from um, my point of view. And so I, I was very deliberate in rooting it in my subjectivity and my particular time and place um, so I basically ground myself in it and say, this is what I saw growing up. So this, the, when I was very little, I saw Free to Be You and Me. And when I was a teenager, I saw Flashdance and stuff like that. So that, And then I wondered, you know, well, will people be able to relate to it if they're older than me or younger than me and they had different t- touch points? And I think that what's happened is that um, a lot of people really have because for two reasons. One is that we live in a culture where we've always had the ability to see old things all the time. You know, I mean, when I was little, I watched constant reruns on TV, but then, you know, millennials have been able to see all the same stuff on Nick at night. And now, you know, little kids have everything available to them on YouTube or Netflix. So everyone's watching old stuff. I have, you know, a niece who's a sophomore in high school who's watching Friends obsessively. And, you know, the, you know these things kind of never go away. So we're always in the same soup. <laughs> and then the other reason is that I think even if a movie or a show that I talk about isn't one that is particular to you as a touch point, it recalls things that you were obsessed with and, and, and you can relate to, like, Exactly. The ways that you, you know, the things that you related to, whatever they were. And I think that's just the value and the power of stories is Mm -hmm. that they do trigger that for us. Yes, it may be very similar. But then again, the value is that it brings up some other things that were maybe buried and we hadn't thought about. So I I don't Mm -hmm. think anything like that gets lost. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think even even for me, like, I always say I sort of started with my feelings and I sort of kind of thought I tried to give them a history and a context and I had to go back, you know, like I wasn't aware of why I had resonant feelings for something like the Brady Bunch. I mean, when I was watching it, I was too young to be able to articulate it or to understand it. So I had to go back and like investigate, well, what, what was going on then or what was, what was that about? Or, or, you know, go back and look at it more carefully and spend the time thinking about it and even doing historical research. Well, what is the role of this mother? You know, what, what is the tradition of this mother? Where does she come from, kind of, you know, and what are the echoes in history that have sort of passed her down? Um, and then you kind of get a much bigger picture of like, oh, look, these are... This is how we see 
women, these are the women that we see, or these are the ideas of women that we see, and how do they, um, and how do we relate to them, you know? Do they feel like us? Do we, how do we feel when we encounter them? Do we feel like we're seeing an accurate reflection of our experience? Does it make us feel bad because we're not living up to the, you know, we're not Mrs. Brady or we're not the supermodel or we're not the little mermaid or whatever. I mean, you know, in all these ways, it was really interesting to go back and say what was going on when this was being made and uh, who was making it and why were they making it and who were they making it for? So all of that, it was a process of discovery for me too. It was just led by a sort of personal you know, those kind of feelings that you have for things that you can't quite figure out, like that yes. you're attracted to something or attached to something or it's melancholy or, you know, nostalgic for you or meaningful, but you're not sure why. Yes. Oh, and, and you know, that's the thing that perhaps enough of us don't really do. And so you're giving us that opportunity to uh-huh. ask that question. Why am I feeling that way? You know, something uh-huh. may feel so unsettled. So why? To start to mm-hmm. kind of route it out. And it, there's just, uh, for one thing, a lot of therapeutic value, but the other mm-hmm. is just this greater understanding, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For I mean, look, for me, it was very therapeutic because I'm definitely someone who I, I think has gone through life with this unsettled feeling and, and a very little sense of like, well, why? Why? You know, ability to articulate why, even though it was my job and I was spending way more time doing it than than the average person but with this book I had to really dig deep and say okay I have to find out why I mean I have to get to the bottom of something and you know or come to some conclusion that that makes it feel less unsettled and that sort of um is satisfying in some way and and it really did help me you know I feel like it it was an interesting exercise and it helped me kind of understand myself and my context and my, um, you know, the time that I grew up in. And um, for instance, I always thought, oh, well, I'm part of the first post-feminist generation. I grew up, you know, in the, in the 70s and 80s, and I was the first. So I was, you know, when I was young, my my mom, you know, didn't work. And None of the other moms that I knew worked. I didn't know any moms with careers when I was little. And um, all the dads had careers and the moms stayed home. And so I, you know, I was told you can do whatever, but I never, I never saw what that looked like, except on TV. You know, maybe I saw Mary Tyler Moore and that was the model. <laughs> um, and I think that it's really interesting to, to see like um, how, I was, you know, how how these stories are told to you, and but but reality doesn't always catch up with these things that you're told. You know what I mean? Like it's easier for me now to say, like, oh, sure, we were told that everything was fine now, but we still had a long way to go. We just weren't allowed to talk about it anymore. And and obviously, even longer way to go. The the journey was still really uphill, even though we thought yeah. we'd accomplished so much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that you know the narrative. I don't know if you agree with this, but I think the narrative was okay. We're done. We've accomplished it. Now you can't talk about it anymore. And if you talk about it, you're whining or you're 
you're not taking responsibility and it's, you know, you're blaming someone else for your own failures. And I think that, um, that, that was the narrative that dominated my, you know, twenties and thirties. And I, and now I can look back on it and think, Oh, you know, I, it's, it is different for, you know, what women face, uh, in the world, like in their careers, but just in the world in general is, is different. Our experience is different and we're, you know, it's not, our experience is not validated or reflected. It's kind of denied and we're gaslit and we're told everything is equal, be quiet. (laughs) And it's like, we know that's not, that's not really true. And yet because there's not to be the conversation about it, the Mm -hmm. feeling was, well, maybe it's just me. Exactly. Right. And which is why, again, there's so much value to your book, You Play the Girl, because you are articulating this for us. We can really identify with whatever part or maybe all of it and really come to the realization, no, I'm not alone or crazy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's exactly it. And I think, you know, the term gaslighting and that comes from this movie Gaslight, which is it's it's a psychological term that comes from an old movie in which someone, the villain marries this woman with the intention of driving her crazy. And he does it by like messing with the gaslights, which is, you know, at a time when they still have gaslights. And whenever she says, the gaslights are acting funny. He says, no, they're not. No, they're not. You know, just basically denying her reality until she just starts to doubt her own perception. And I think that that is something, you know, it's it's actually, it's used psychologically and it's a form of abuse. But I think that, um, you know, and it's talked about in a sort of in interpersonal relationships and abuse. But I think that it is something that the culture does to women because it doesn't reflect, you know, or validate our our experience. If in, in as much as it can be general, generalized, you know, like obviously women have all kinds of different experiences and not all women have the same experiences, but um, in as much as it can be generalized, it's 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 often denied. Um, so I think there is value in that, and that's why I've been sort of really surprised and happy to find that people of, like I said, of all ages, sometimes much younger and much older, you know, have really um, identified with the book, even even though it didn't correspond to their touch points in their era because the experience is so familiar. Yes. And I think that there are men who find value in this as well because it's uh-huh. eye-opening for them, isn't it? I've heard so, so many men, and that, that's been the biggest surprise, honestly, is that I have had no hostility. <laughs> and, and a lot of men telling me that it has... Um, that it has opened their eyes and changed their point of view. And I honestly, I don't know why that is. Um, but like, but I think that it's possible that I, um, that, that it's because I tried to really ground it in my own experience and to, and to say, you know, to write about this is how I felt. And so it can be, so I think it's easier to empathize, you know, maybe to put yourself in someone's shoes Mm. and to say, okay, and not argue with someone's experience if this is what they experience. I don't know, but, um, but yes, it's been really gratifying that to hear that it's been amazing. 
to that point, I think there's so much value both with the book and then for life in general when we use the I statements of Mm-hmm. This is how I feel. Not you did this to me or you've done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that taking that personal responsibility just really shifts that whole energy a lot. I guess, yeah, I guess that's what it came from. It's like the old marriage counseling <laughs> tip. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, without, you know, necessarily doing it for that reason, but you're telling mm-hmm. a story, it's your story, and uh, being able to then... For anyone to put themselves in your shoes, that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, relating to it. And, you know, and that to me is kind of the crux of it, too, of like what what has been missing in the culture. Although I have to say that, you know, in the past four or five years, there's been such an explosion on television of of um, of new shows that that center um, all kinds of different women, you know, of all kinds of different backgrounds and all kinds of, you know, LGBTQ women and women of color and all kinds of different um, people at the center of stories. And they're, you know, telling amazing stories and really interesting stories that we just haven't seen before. And it's been, uh, so it's, there has been, a, you know, a shift, but, uh, but, but until very recently, there was just a, a complete absence, you know, and still they're outnumbered by a lot. So we, we, you know, this idea of like the subject and the I, and this is how it feels to be me. And, you know, this is my story has been really, really, really dominated by a very narrow segment, you know, and it's been predominantly male, predominantly, you know, white and straight and you know, middle class and whatever. And so it's a point of view that's been always um, put to us as the universal point of view. This is just what it is to be human and everything else is some kind of weird variation that no one really cares about. So it's interesting because we've, we, we, that's just been, you know, really drilled into us. And some, I found that some men, you know, do feel like the the feeling is, oh, that's, you know, that perspective is the normal perspective. And now it's being challenged, you know, and I feel threatened by that challenge. Instead of, you know, feeling like stories, all personal stories are universal because we can all empathize with, you know, other humans. Like that's the purpose of the story. So I think the more diversity in storytelling we have on this level, you know, at a television, at a mass level, I think it just helps us as a society. It helps us understand each other and and come together more. Absolutely. And it just requires this constant moving forward. You know, there's just bounty uh, everywhere. And rather than thinking limiting thoughts that, oh, no, if we do it that way, it's taking something from me. It's it's not. This is just Mm -hmm. going to make things greater. Right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Right. There's always this fear. I think that this is a fear that exists right now, that like someone else's existence or someone else's success or someone else's voice somehow takes away from someone else's or Mm -hmm. limits your own. And that's not the case. But I guess that's what it feels like when you've completely dominated and, you know, and have not to the point where everyone else has been invisible to you and their invisibility has been invisible to you, you know? Yes. 
I guess the fact is things will change. It won't be uh-huh. in that dominant situation uh, as one has been accustomed to. But the thing is, you know, open that door and see how something different might be much grander, greater than you ever imagined. Well, I think we're already seeing it. I mean, yes. I think all what's the most interesting stuff on television right now is being made by women and made by women of color and being made by queer women. It's just different. It's, you know, and it's not because it's being, you know, it's not like about labeling or categorizing um, people. It's, it's just that we're the, the freshness of perspectives are just seeing something that feels fresh and that we haven't seen before. Because the problem with a dominant culture that's too homogenous, I find, is that um, the people that come up in it and that sort of um, hire according to the people that remind them of themselves and, you know, it's sort of the pipeline is incredibly homogenous, is that they also, it, there's also like a creative um, um conformity that starts to happen and you start to see a lot of like people that come up in you know creative fields who just start who just repeat what the people before them did so it's not like they're not writing about their direct experience they're not writing about their observations of life they're not you know they're not giving us stories from life they're giving us stories from television they're giving us you know they're giving us the stuff that they've seen already before i don't know if you find this but i've always been really frustrated by this it's like certain cadences certain jokes certain ways of you know um presenting things and looking at things that just feels like this is how you were trained by the tv you know and and it's just a pass passed down and passed down so it just becomes incredibly boring and also uh meaningless and divorced from life so when suddenly something breaks through that says something real and authentic and that comes from someone's actual experience and is heartfelt and you know and true then it you it lately what's ha- been happening is these things have just exploded into global hits because we're not used to seeing stuff that's that good and that real like we're not used to seeing art and that's and generally these you know these things that are being told from life are closer to art. Precisely. So, yes, change is happening, which is what mm-hmm. you were already feeling that you were so unsettled in your as as you were growing up, right, Karina? Mhm, mm-hmm, yeah. definitely. And then did you see that being reflected in your daughter over the years? Well, my daughter's young you know she's nine now and when I first started writing the book in earnest she was still in actually when I started to write the essays that ended up in the book she was probably still in preschool so that's in the beginning of the book you know it sort of starts with us reading Sleeping Beauty every night and you know preschool girls love princesses because princesses are the only female characters that they get pretty much and they're kind of the superheroes. You know, they're presented as the big, larger-than-life, central female characters. They're the only ones that they make movies about. So, you know, they're the only ones that you can get costumes for. So people say, like, oh, little girls love princesses. Well, you know, I think it has something to do with the fact that they are the equivalent of the superhero for girls. You know, they're the one that you can dress up as. They're the one that you can see the movie about. They're the one that you can buy the doll for, you know, of. And 
Anyway, so she loved Sleeping Beauty, and we told the story every night. And one day I tried to read her Alice in Wonderland, and she absolutely hated it. And I remembered the feeling of having hated it myself when I was little. And I mentioned it to my mom and she was like, Oh, I always hated Alice in Wonderland too. And I read the book after she went to bed and I thought, why did I hate this book? Cause I really enjoyed it, you know, as an adult. And I thought it is an, an unsettling book because it's about this girl who is actually not the model girl. She's kind of rude. She talks back. She eats, she's snobby. She's, you know, she does all these things that like girls aren't supposed to do. Um, She wants things. She thinks she's entitled to things. You know, all these behaviors that girls are told, like, you know, just sit there quietly looking pretty, don't say anything. And she's also going through this world that is gaslighting her at all, at every turn, where the rules keep changing or don't apply, you know, or only apply to her or don't apply to her. And I was like, wow, this, you know, this experience just feels so familiar to me. (laughs) And especially... Uh, having been a film critic, like kind of this rabbit hole of pop culture where nothing I'm looking at makes any sense. And, you know, it just seems like this nonsense world that doesn't, where none of the characters seem human or, you know, don't act like people in any way that I recognize or don't have the feelings that I recognize that people have. And so I thought that was so fascinating. And I was like, oh, look at the two you have the princess who is at the center of most stories for women and girls, because then the princess just turns into the romantic comedy heroine. And the, you know, it's always like the ingenue and the, the nice girl and the, you know, the pretty girl. And then she gets married at a very young age and then she disappears into the castle and then you never see her again. And maybe if she emerges again, it's as this, the mom or wife who's really just there to like put a plate of cookies on the table, you know, or a very backdrop character, or if she becomes in any way central, it's as the villain, you know. And I remember my daughter asking me when she was really young enough to be watching all these Disney movies, "Mommy, why are the bad guys always girls?" And I was like, "Oh, you're right. They're all in in Disney movies. The villain is always a woman, and she's always an older woman, and she's always an unattached older woman." And a powerful older woman. So, you know, we get these messages early. And, you know, I think the fact that my daughter asked the question means that she got the message. And so young. And she, oh, yeah, she was yeah, four or five. Really just so aware at a young age, mm-hmm. which children are if we give them that platform, that opportunity to really mm-hmm. have a conversation. I think they absorb it no matter what. And we learn things. Before we can read, we're absorbing all kinds of information. We're making all kinds of conclusions about the world. We live in L.A. We're driving around. There's billboards full of, like, women wrapped around vodka bottles. You're absorbing that before you can read what it says. Mm -hmm. You're making conclusions. I remember one time we were in a shoe store, and there was a magazine, and she picked it up. And she was looking at it and she like flipped to a perfume ad or something. And it was like Nicole Kidman in a ball gown. And she was like, oh, I'm going to look at the princess. You know, it's like these are the archetypal things. We get the message and the message sticks. And it really informs the way we look at things forever, you know, unless you really, really stop to examine it. And who has the time? (laughs) 
That's correct. And that's why, Karina, I feel that your new book, You Play the Girl, gives us that opportunity because partly because of your work, you were doing this research, but also, of course, your curiosity and wanting that answer. But this gives us the opportunity to do it vicariously and find our own answers. This really gives us, I think, a great uh, jumping off point to get into taking a look at these things in our own life. Yeah, thank you. I mean, that's, that was my hope. So, And of course, the book, it's available at all of our favorite book sources, correct? Yes, anywhere books are sold. And let's mention your website. People can get lots of further great information there. It's www.karinachocano.com. And I have, you can see other things I've written and links to buy the book. Great. Well, this has been so wonderful to have this much time with you, Karina, taking a look at some of the key issues and then just get to the book and get into the essays and discover those answers for our own self, right? Yes. I hope that it just inspires people to think more about the stuff that they consume, which is not to say don't watch it, but it's just think about it. You know, it's interesting to see what our culture tells us, you know, stories aren't like, they don't just grow on trees, someone makes them. And it's always interesting to think about that, who made this, and who'd they make it for. And, you know, these are interesting questions to ask. Absolutely. And it's been most interesting to spend this time with you. Thank you so greatly. Thank you so much for having me. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Karina Chicano and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dr. Cheryl Almatine. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I so greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 106.9 webpage. Just click on the On Air tab, then Sunday mornings, and then look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of seeing each other clearly and honestly. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9, the station that lifts you up and makes you feel good. Good morning.